Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. The wind causes the branch to sway, which then pulls the rope, which, in turn, pulls a fork across the saw blade. This drags the nails in the hanger across the flat surface of the blade and sends signals out into space. Elliot is overjoyed and shouts that it works, while E.T. repeats the word, home. Together, they gaze up to the stars. Um. Phone? He said phone? He said phone? Can't you understand English? He said phone. Home. You're right. That's E.T.'s home. E.T. Home from... E.T. Phone home. E.T. Phone home. It's one of the most famous lines in cinema history. E.T. Phone Home. E.T. more than any other movie is what made Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg. It took him to the next level, to the auteur we knew we could count on to make magic. His career anointed a new king, but not nearly as many people know about the woman responsible for the movie that put the crown on his head. Melissa Matheson was born June 3, 1950. Her father, Richard, was the religion editor for the L.A. Times and later the L.A. bureau chief for Newsweek. And her mother, Pajine, served as the food editor for Fortnite magazine, then a lay therapist, then as the founder of Custom Cookery, one of the first businesses focused on creating convenient gourmet foods, kind of like a 70s precursor to the meal kits so popular today. In a sad coincidence, most of Melissa's obituaries mention her father and his accomplishments, but they relegate... Pijin to simply wife and mother. But her obituary in the Ventura County Star is filled with the kind of warm, beautiful language the Matheson family clearly specialized in. While all but one of the siblings chose careers in the arts, only her sister Stephanie Matheson ended up working in Hollywood, becoming an Emmy-winning writer who wrote for animated series like X-Men and Spider-Man, as well as Punky Brewster. Growing up in L.A., Matheson was never lured by the glitz and glamour of the entertainment industry. But the magic of movie making? That caught her passion. In 1982, she told the Toronto Globe and Mail, I remember not really caring that much about the Hollywood premieres because they were always so crowded. But if something like a stagecoach drove by followed by a camera crew, I got really excited. Even with that spark toward filmmaking, Matheson originally entered college to study politics at UC Berkeley. That changed when she got an offer 
she, quite frankly, couldn't refuse. A family friend whose kids she used to babysit offered her a job as his assistant. That friend was Francis Ford Coppola. The kids were Roman and Sofia Coppola. And that assistant gig? Well, it was for The Godfather Part Two. Coppola described Matheson as exuberant and full of fun. She called the director the big spaghetti. He told Time she loved writers and writing, knew a lot and read a lot, and she was anxious to learn, although a little timid concerning her own abilities. Her role as Coppola's assistant got its own part two when she joined him for 1979's Apocalypse Now. 79 was a big year for Matheson. On the set of Apocalypse Now, she met an actor named Harrison Ford and began a relationship that would eventually give them her two beloved children, Malcolm and Georgia. It was also the year that saw the production of her first script, beginning a relationship with Hollywood that would change film as we know it. The script was Black Stallion, something she wrote with the Coppola's encouragement. Frances said, you can do this, and that was it, Matheson told the LA Times. She said, we all agreed the movie should be like a children's book, with just pictures. That's when I learned to take out the words, to tell the story visually, which is the best training there is. Her first film as screenwriter was a bit of a trial-by-fire experience, at least according to co-writer Gene Rosenberg. As she told TheBlackStallion.com, it was total chaos when I arrived in the pre-production phase. Melissa Matheson got off another plane and we met and became this writing team as we were about to shoot. Carol hadn't committed to a screenplay. All the actors were there. Everyone was. The art department didn't know where to go to dress the set. They didn't even know the locations. Do we need a farm horse? Do we need a racetrack? What do we need? Carol liked to keep everything open and see what developed. To have an entire film crew that had to be told what to do at every moment And to get that information from a guy who doesn't like to make decisions is tough. He was driving everyone crazy, of course. Even so, the pair followed their instincts. Carol kept refusing to let us write the island sequence, Rosenberg said. Of course we did it anyway. While dating Ford, Matheson traveled with him to North Africa's Tunisian desert while he filmed Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was there she met Steven Spielberg. It was only as the two got to know each other that he learned she wrote The Black Stallion a movie he said he had fallen in love with. Like Coppola, Spielberg saw an uncertainty in Matheson. He told Time, I found that she had a serene confidence in herself about life itself, but I was very unsure of herself and her occupation. I asked her what her occupation was, and she said to me, I'm a screenwriter, but I don't think I'm very good at it. Between learning she wrote a movie he loved, as well as his trust in the woman who had now become his friend, Spielberg knew she was the right person to write E.T., a movie that would be based on the imaginary friend Spielberg created for himself as a child when his parents were divorcing. She wrote the script in less than eight weeks. Kathleen Kennedy, who was a producer on E.T. and is today the president of Lucasfilm, described it as one of the best first drafts of any movie either she or Spielberg had ever worked on to this day. At its core, E.T. is a movie about friendship and finding commonality where it seems impossible. I think just the um, the simple understanding that these two little creatures, a little earth boy and a little alien, could understand each other with 
with no with nothing in common. That if they could understand each other, anybody could understand each other. I think that was probably Matheson's hand in the creation of E.T. as we know it, not just the film, but also the character, is far beyond what one might normally expect from a screenwriter. It was Matheson that came up with E.T.'s telekinetic powers and his ability to feel Elliot's feelings. While Spielberg devised E.T.'s glowing finger, it was Matheson who created the moment when he touches Elliot's finger and repeats the word ouch, a moment that is a permanent, indelible image when one thinks of the film and reappears as the film's heartstring-pulling ending. Much of E.T.'s appearance, including his long neck and pot belly, those were straight out of Matheson's script. So much so that the Writers Guild of America successfully argued that she should receive a cut of all merchandising revenue. Ultimately, she was awarded 4 to 5% in all products featuring the character's likeness. In total, E.T. took in over $1 billion in merchandise revenue alone. But beyond her development of this preciously ugly alien creature, it is the human characters that make this film a classic. Matheson's way of writing children was, quite frankly, revolutionary. Around this time, kids in film existed in two realms, zany, over-the-top nuisances, or small adults that were swearing, drinking, and smoking cigarettes. What Matheson gave us in E.T. was real, real kids talking and behaving the way kids do. The children of E.T. weren't props for adult enjoyment, nor were they condescending concepts adults think children would find amusing. As Spielberg put it, I think she was really able to connect with the eternal child in all of us, and she was able to tell a very adult story from the point of view of children. It did not feel like an adult was writing words, but that they were coming improvisationally from the mouths of young people. That skill would inform Matheson's entire career. In 1995, she told the LA Times, I go to the movies with my children and see fat kids burping, parents portrayed as total morons, and kids being mean and materialistic. And I feel it's really slim pickings out there. There's a little dribble of moral tacked on, but the story is not about that. But upon the film's release, little fanfare was given to the women behind the film. A 1982 interview between Rolling Stone and Spielberg mentions her only once, and even then, partially, and as Harrison Ford's girlfriend. That same year, Matheson wrote the script for The Escape Artist, starring Raul Julia, and in 1983, re-teamed with Spielberg for the segment Kick the Can in Twilight Zone, the movie. That film became a notorious real-life horror show before it was even released, after actor Vic Morrow and two child actors who were hired illegally were killed during a helicopter stunt in John Landis' segment Time Out. Matheson was ultimately credited under a pseudonym, Josh Rogan. After that, her output was more limited. But by all accounts, this was by choice. While it would be a challenge for anyone to even conceive of matching the success of E.T., Matheson chose to focus more on family than film. She told Newsweek, I have two little children. I don't want to be missing their childhood while I was away busy writing about children. 
1991, she wrote Son of the Morning Star, a television miniseries about the Battle of Little Bighorn, then returned to child-friendly fantasy with 1995's The Indian in the Cupboard. Like with E.T., her very first draft is the one that got Frank Oz and Paramount to commit to the project. And, like with E.T., her understanding of and refusal to talk down to children guided the film. Of The Indian in the Cupboard, she said, There was a subtext that was about things changing. I think the idea that nothing stays the same is one of the hardest for a child to absorb. The lesson it leads you to is to be of value to your time. To be here and now and aid what you can. The challenge was to make the movie less of an adventure and more of a profound experience. To put more emotion into what happened. That's not to say these were the only projects Matheson worked on. While being a mother and writing the occasional film, she was also an active supporter of the Tibetan people and a friend of the 14th Dalai Lama. That relationship led to Kondon, a 1997 biography of his life from 1937 to 1959, directed by Martin Scorsese. The film was nominated for four Academy Awards. It was her last film script for almost two decades. And in 2000, she separated from Harrison Ford. Her final film was a fitting bookend to her career. In 2016's The BFG, she teamed up yet again with Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy to adopt Raoul Dahl's novel, which coincidentally was released the same year as E.T. BFG didn't get the box office returns or universal critical consensus of E.T., but it did put Matheson in a similar role that went beyond typical screenwriter. She was Spielberg's partner in its creation, joining him to map out the animations in his garage, spending every day on set, changing the script as she was inspired by the young lead actress. Matheson and Spielberg had an implicit trust, down to a literal shorthand of three-by-five index cards the two would use rather than script. Spielberg and Matheson used the same technique on E.T., Matheson's idea being it would allow Spielberg to focus on only the day's work. He never used that method with anyone else. She has such a beautiful sort of serene and contemplative voice. She's really a poet. And she took her poetry, the way she wrote E.T., and she blended that kind of poetry of emotion and compassion into Raoul Dahl's dialogue. And it was a beautiful kind of marriage. And I just thought it was one of the best things Melissa had ever written. Matheson died before she could see the film. Spielberg wasn't even aware she was sick while they were working, only finding out she had been diagnosed with cancer a few months before she died. As with so much of her work, she wanted to give children something they could learn from, something that made them feel seen. At a certain point, it seemed to me to have a value inherent in it that made it worth making. And I do think that it has value. I think that, that children will experience something that makes them think and makes them think about the other and about being a friend and about standing up for themselves and their own imaginations and creativity. So that has value. Its reception may not have been that of endless accolades, but her final piece of work was again about the magic and imagination of childhood, something she shared with her friend Stephen and something she may have used as more than a script. It may have been her farewell. Sophie asked the BFG, Will I still have you? Will you still hear me when I call for you? And he assures her he will always hear her. Spielberg said, I think she was writing that to her kids. 
even before Melissa knew that she wasn't going to be with her family the following year, without really knowing it, she was saying goodbye to them in that speech. For the rare person in Hollywood, there will be great success. And despair. Times will be hard and times will be soft. But what Melissa Matheson taught us is that there is power in the softness. That an open heart and the warmth of connection is necessary to story and to humankind alike. The best movies shape our humanity. Let us know we're not alone. That across the stars, all the way to another planet or to a giant country, we are all in this together. And her influence continues to this day. From television like Stranger Things to movies like Super 8, a whole generation of kids, the ones Matheson spoke to in a way that made them feel so understood, are writing their own scripts inspired by her and the characters she created. Like a good script, her influence is lasting. And she'll always be right here. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Courtney Enlow and read by Cher Martinetti. It is produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls. Fangirls.